Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee. You guys know Strava is the rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig, whole bean, or ground. I have some whole bean at my place myself, and I have it because it's the best coffee out there. Guys, not only is it delicious, smooth coffee, but it comes with all the benefits of CBD. CBD helps with aches, pains, headaches, migraines, anything that's going on. Make sure to check out Strava Craft Coffee. Use that code DNVR20 for 20% off your online purchase. So check out Strava Craft Coffee. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this Tuesday episode. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason. But before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about MSU Denver Online. Guys, MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. So whether you want to start a degree whether you want to take a couple classes or whether you want to finish a degree, MSU Denver Online can do that for you. They've mastered the art of online learning. And so go check them out because they know how to do it. They've perfected it. So head to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. Over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. So check them out at msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, what's up? Hey, how are you? You know what? I love how in that MSU Denver read, and we're very grateful to them, of course, for being the presenting sponsor of this podcast, that you talk about how they've mastered online learning. That's a very wonderful word, little bit of wordplay there. I <laughs> yes, it is. And I probably learned that at MSU Denver Online. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See, I mean, all, all sorts of stuff that you can study over there. But I heard that. And for some reason, it just kind of, it stuck with me a little bit, it made me smile here on this beautiful Tuesday morning. You're back in the Mile High City. I'm here in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, another uh, center of higher learning in this country. Of course, the University of Wisconsin, just a stone's throw from here. It's a gorgeous day 
with Zach. Gorgeous here. Got the window open. It's in the 70s. The sun is out. Uh, I was when I just drove back here to my brother-in-law's house, was driving through the uh, the cornfields, the soybean fields, uh, the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. Just picturesque. It's lovely out here. Oh, Mace, I can tell that is your place. You just have a uh, a huge smile on your face talking mm-hmm. about it. Man, I'm so happy for you. And and you went on a quite an adventure this morning. Yeah, we went to a place called Cave of the Mounds. And of course, you go in the caverns and they've got all, all, all sorts of uh, stalactites, stalagmites, all sorts of formations. It was really interesting and to, to learn about how this place was found. They were just uh, doing some blasting in 1939, starting a construction project and then come upon these caverns that are just, uh, that are just gorgeous. And so became a tourist attraction a year later. We walked through it with plenty of social distancing, of course. And uh, just uh, my phone now is filled with uh, pictures of the formations that we saw down there. And then uh, quickly came back here. My uh, family is uh, still out exploring, but I wanted to come back here and talk with you, get my daily fill of all things Broncos, and of course, uh, connect with you, the listener. So thanks for joining us. Oh, man, I know I really appreciate it. I know our listeners really appreciate it, Mason. Man, I, you're going to need some days off later this week. That's for sure. Maybe some sunshine at the pool later today. <laughs> so let's jump into Broncos so that you can get to all of those activities <laughs> after. And Mace, we talked about uh, some projections that Mike Clay threw out um, uh, that, that he posted a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about Drew Locke's projections that we had. And uh, let's jump into who Drew Locke will be throwing the ball to. Let's look at his projections for the wide receivers. And when you take a look at this, what jumps out to you? All right. Well, first of all, you're looking at this and you're seeing – Cortland Sutton leading the way, 73 catches, 1,043 yards, seven touchdowns is, is, is what Mike Clay has projected for him. And then my first thought is, okay, if Cortland Sutton has that kind of year, then it means that he's, going, he's amassing fewer yards is – racking up fewer yards per catch than he did last year. Instead of being comfortably over a thousand yards, of course, he'd be barely cracking it. He would have one more touchdown. And the thought occurred to me, if Cortland Sutton has 73, 1043 and seven touchdowns, are you disappointed because what's interesting is that he has fewer he pre, he's projected to have fewer yards than last year but also is targeted one more time than he was last year 125 targets is the projection that Mike Clay has for him 124 is what he had last year if he has this sort of season Zach frankly I'm feeling a little let down I'm yeah. I'm actually worried about the Broncos offensive output yeah and and Mace I feel that same way because Jerry Judy is where he's at, according to Mike Clay. He has Judy going for 55 receptions off 90 targets for 706 yards and four touchdowns. Jerry Judy alone, I think those numbers are fine. We'll dive into that in a second. 
But if Cortland Sutton's going for 73 catches and 1,043 yards, and Jerry Judy's only at 700, then that tells me that it wasn't Jerry Judy coming in and taking away Cortland Sutton's role from him. It's exactly what you're saying, Mesa. I'm a little disappointed in that. And one thing that I really don't like is he would only have a 58% completion percentage when thrown to him. And that's not good. That's worse than Jerry Judy. That's worse than KJ Hamler. That's worse than Deshaun Hamilton. And while Tim <laughs> Patrick only got uh, five targets, according to Mike Clay, that's worse than Tim Patrick. It would be worse, the, the worst on the team. And now I understand that Cortland Sutton may be uh, that deep ball kind of threat. So you don't expect the best completion percentage to him. But if he's catching 73 balls, they're not all 73 bombs, you know? And so I would like to see that number certainly above 60%. And with if Jerry Judy eclipsed 1,000 yards and Cortland Sutton only goes for 1,043, fine. Totally fine. No worries about that. But Cortland Sutton being the Pro Bowl receiver that he is, if he is by far and away the guy, which his 125 targets would absolutely suggest, then yeah, 73 catches for 1,043 yards would be disappointing in my book. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and taking it to a bigger picture here, you look at what he has projected in terms of passing yards, gross passing yards, not net. So we're not count. We're not accounting for the sacks here. Passing yards for the Broncos as a team because he's got Drew Locke playing 15 games, Jeff Driscoll playing two. So sounds like in his projection, he's got Jeff Driscoll relieving Drew Locke in one game and starting in another. The total that Mike Clay has for the Broncos in terms of passing yards is 3,682 in terms of gross passing yards. Tell me, Zach, where do you think that total would have ranked last year? I will say that would have been 10th. 3,682 gross passing yards for the team would have ranked 25th. Oh, goodness. Goodness. Yeah. You're at, you're at the start of the bottom quarter. It would have, in the end, last year, it was the Bears who ranked 25th with 3,573 passing yards. Denver last year had. 3,401 gross passing yards, which translates to uh, 3,401 times 16 is 212.56 yards per game, okay? Okay. So let's say they have this relatively conservative total, I think, because I think the Broncos are going to pass for many more yards than this. But this relatively conservative total, all you are – increasing the Broncos' passing yards up to 230.1, up from 212.6. So you're up. You're, you're not up by much. You're up by 17 and a half yards. Right. If the Broncos only increased their gross passing yardage from one year to the other by 17 and a half yards, same thing with Cortland Sutton here. I'm very disappointed in the Broncos if this is where their passing yardage total is, because this probably puts them in the bottom quarter of the league. Right. Yeah. And that, that would be a massive, massive disappointment, Mace. And uh, 
Mace, I don't know. Do you have the uh, Broncos passing stats uh, uh, off the top of your hand from last year? Um, uh, yes, I, I actually do. And overall, this is, this is Drew Locke plus Brandon Allen plus Joe Flacco. Every pass thrown. The Broncos were 312 of 504, so 61.9%, for 3,401 yards. And then they lost another 286 yards on 41 sacks. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be significantly better than last year because not only is Drew Locke in his second year, what did you do this offseason? You made it the offseason of getting Drew Locke weapons. That should count for way more than just what'd you say, 17 yards, Mace? 17.5 yards per game improvement. It, that would that would be it, it, unacceptable, even with the new offensive coordinator and mm-hmm. everything like that, because th- they're going to have four games, but they're also they also should have explosive, explosive games. And Mace, when I look at these numbers um, put together compared to last season, I see Cortland Sutton taking a step back. I see um, a big upgrade at the second wide receiver position, which is, is very needed. Um, and I'm not including Noah Fant in this because technically he was the second receiver for the Broncos. Um, but between Emmanuel Sanders and Deshaun Hamilton, I guess you're not even seeing that big of an improvement uh, because Emmanuel Sanders had 367 receiving yards and Deshaun had 297. If you add those together, just shy of 700, Jerry Judy comes in and has 700. So you're not even seeing that big of a step up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next receiver is Tim Patrick at 218 yards from last year in, tr- in terms of being an actual receiver. Um, and that, I guess, would be where your biggest jump is, um, where then you have K.J. Hamler at 425. But, yeah, these numbers as a whole, individually – are disappointing. Yeah. In fact, one thing that he, that uh, Mike Clay does is as he has this page of Broncos projections, he also points out where they would rank on his projections for this year. So I mentioned that if they had this gross passing yards total, it would have been 25th in the league last year. Well, Mike Clay, in terms of passing yards for the Broncos, has them projected to rank 31st. 31st in yards, 28th in completions, 28th in attempts, and 28th in dropbacks. So what he is suggesting here is that the Broncos are going to be one of the most run-intensive teams in the league, and some of the lack of yardage for the Broncos could be a function of simply running the football more because last year when when the Broncos in terms of gross yardage were at that 212.6 yard total which which would have placed them which placed them 28th in gross passing yards per game last year again this doesn't account for sacks they accomplished that with the 27th most attempts in the league so some of so I will say this. Some of it is a function of his expectation. The Broncos aren't going to pass the ball a great deal. The other, it, it's also interesting to parse out the Melvin Gordon, Phil Lindsay numbers because we've talked about uh, Pat Shermer 
having a plan for them and not necessarily going with the hot hand. Well, Mike Clay has Melvin Gordon projected to touch the football 227 times and Philip Lindsay had touched the ball 195 times. So effectively, Melvin Gordon would have two more touches per game than Philip Lindsay. That's pretty close to parity. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it certainly is. And Mace, it, it makes sense on one hand that the Broncos would run the ball a lot because you, you look, they added a Pro Bowl running back and Melvin Gordon gave him a lot of money. Graham Glasgow is good in the run game as well as the pass game, but you can make an argument that that, that, that investment was to help the running game. Uh, and you have Drew Locke, a young quarterback. Not, nothing helps a young quarterback more like a running game. But then you add in what happened in the draft and a first-round receiver, a second-round receiver, adding a receiving tight end in the fourth round, who, by the way, is Drew's best friend or or one of Drew's favorite targets all throughout college. Then that doesn't really – and you add Pat Shermer, a guy who, yeah, can run the ball, but really focused on three wide receiver sets. That doesn't necessarily add up as a team that's just going to run the ball. This was about getting Drew Locke weapons, and, and certainly some of those weapons were for the running game. But it was also for the passing game. I would be shocked if this team relies on the run game in and game out all 16 games of the season. I, I would be shocked by it. Yeah, well, again, kind of getting back to where Clay has a team ranked, he has the Broncos projected to rank 10th in the league in rushing attempts and 28th in the league in passing attempts. Yeah, that. so does it make these numbers, uh, knowing where the attempts are, does it make these numbers from the receiving core a little more bearable? It makes them bearable, but at the same time, my hope for Cortland Sutton is that in terms of yards per reception, this offense, which should provide, it's in theory supposed to provide some more vertical opportunities than last year's offense did. So let's assume that last that uh, he once again averages 15.4 yards per catch as he did last year. Then Cortland Sutton, with 73 receptions, as Mike Clay projects, would have 12 more yards than he did last year, 1,124. Yep, that would get it done. Well, that's interesting. Like, uh, hmm. let's see, 11, 12, divided by 72 equals 15.4 times 73. 11.27, my bad. I typed in something wrong in my Excel. Yeah, so 1,127.4 yards. And I'd be fine. If, if Cortland Sutton has 73 catches but is over 1,100 yards, I'm fine with that if – and here's part of it. If the touchdown total increases, I would like to see Cortland Sutton push toward 10 touchdowns. He's had 10 touchdowns in his first two seasons combined. And of course, we know about RK's rule that he suggests that if you're inside the 50, you throw it up to Cortland. Now, I don't think the Broncos are necessarily going to follow that rule to the letter, but based on what we saw from Cortland Sutton Last year, even if you just take out the, if you just focus on, pardon me, focus on the game against the Chargers when he had two touchdown catches from Drew Locke in the first quarter, there's some real promise there if you emphasize 
Cortland Sutton as a red zone or even inside the 30 target to go up and win those jump balls. The, no, the number that I, I would like to see improve, even though seven touchdowns, if it goes by Mike Clay's projection, we the, would be the most that Cortland Sutton has had. I want to see that touchdown total get to nine or ten. Yeah. That would make me feel good. And then if Cortland Sutton has comparable numbers in receptions and yards but increases his touchdown total, and let's say a target here. Let's shoot for ten touchdown receptions for Cortland Sutton. If that happens – then you're feeling awesome about Cortland Sutton and you're also feeling awesome about Drew Locke and the offense because maybe if the yards and and attempts aren't there in terms of those raw numbers, perhaps you're talking about a season where the offense is so effective, is able to achieve not 50-50 balance because you don't necessarily want that, but balance enough to keep defenses off guard, to keep them guessing between the run and the pass, and throwing in the play action as well. You do that, then maybe Drew Locke has a season where his yardage total is kind of meh, you know, league average, maybe below league average over the course of a year, but his touchdown tally is 25 or 26. Yeah. That, tell, that tells you you've got an offense that's doing exactly what you want it to do. And you feel, and if Cortland Sutton has 10 of, say, 26 touchdowns, wouldn't shock me in the least. Yeah, and, and that would be huge, Mace. Um, I, just, I just think the Broncos are going to be passing a lot more than this suggests. But let's, let's look at Jerry Judy's numbers. 90 targets, 55 catches, 706 yards, and four touchdowns. What would you think of that rookie year? I'd be okay with that. It's maybe not as explosive as you'd expect, and it doesn't match up to the other Alabama first-round receivers that we've seen in the last decade throughout the Nick Saban era. But if Cortland Sutton is having that sort of season and you assume that Noah Fant's going to provide more more than he did last year, Jerry Judy being in that total, you're fine with that. It may not match up to, say, what Amari Cooper did as a rookie, but for a rookie wide receiver, that's going to be pretty good that's going to put him well above average you have no complaints about that maybe if you're getting greedy you'd like to see a bit more and again similar to Cortland Sutton I'd like to see a touchdown total be a bit higher than a four over the course of a year but that sort of season you're probably okay with yeah this is a season that it's important to talk about so that if it does happen fans aren't saying what a bust what a terrible first round pick I can't believe that that he had this type of season because while I think he he will be closer to 900 I think he'll be closer to a thousand but I I think he'll end up in the 900s this wouldn't be a bad season Uh, it, it wouldn't be a bad season at all in fact Macy's really really reminds me of one Cortland Sutton, a mm-hmm. Pro Bowl receiver. His rookie season, Cortland had 84 targets, 42 receptions, 704 yards, and four touchdowns. So we're talking nearly the exact same season that Cortland Sutton had when he was a rookie. This would put Jerry Judy over that in receptions. It put him over by two yards in receiving and the same number of touchdowns. And yes, I know Cortland Sutton was a second rounder. But Jerry Judy, but Cortland Sutton's played up to be a first rounder. So this would not be a terrible, disappointing season. It may be underwhelming, but it wouldn't be something that would give me concern moving forward. 
Well, the thing with Cortland Sutton, I remember that, that rookie year, and I, I thought a lot about that rookie season that he had because I, th- I, I think people may have been a little bit disappointed thinking, okay, he should have probably done more down the stretch when he was the number one guy after the trade of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders' Achilles injury. But at the same time, over the years, having 700 yards as a rookie put him in really good company. Going back in the last decade and looking at the rookie receivers that have had 700 yards, okay, there have been guys who failed to launch. Okay, you remember Justin Blackman. He had a lot of uh, off-field problems. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin was not only at 700 yards as a rookie season, he had 1,000 for the Panthers as a rookie back in 2014. It didn't really click for him. But the guys that hit 700 yards in the last decade as rookies, overwhelmingly, you're talking about receivers who are in the, who are in the game's upper tiers. Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Doug Baldwin, T.Y. Hilton, Josh Gordon, talented but troubled but very talented, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Sammy Watkins, Jarvis Landry, Mike Evans, OBJ, Stephon Diggs, Amari Cooper, Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster. These are the guys whose company Cortland Sutton kept with that rookie season. So 700 yards over the last 10 years – for a rookie wide receiver, it's a little bit of a magic number because most of those guys have gone on to have bigger success. And you can just take a look at uh, this at the 700-yard uh, receivers from last year around the league, and you have A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, DJ, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, and Darius Slayton. And I think the ceiling is high for them. I think the ceiling is high uh, for Cortland Sutton, and I think the ceiling is going to be high for Jerry Judy. And I expect that 700 yards, while it might disappoint some people, it's a number that if you've got production happening elsewhere for Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, K.J. Hamler, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, you're going to feel pretty good about that. And you're going to be able to say, if Jerry Judy has 700 yards, this guy's on the right track. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, Mace, when I tell you that K.J. Hamler goes for 35 receptions off 55 targets, for 425 yards and two touchdowns. Are you saying he's on the right track as well? Well, I'm saying that you probably didn't get him the ball enough. And also, the other thing with that that total, given K.J. Hamler's speed, it's interesting to me that, they're call, that Mike Clay is effectively calling for him to be pretty modest in terms of, of yards per catch. That's 12.1 yards per reception. Mace, it's less than Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Yeah. Now, maybe with K.J. Hamler, you're saying, okay, he's going to be slot, he's going to be underneath, but you're also expecting K.J. Hamler to be able to go vertical. You're expecting him to be to get down, to catch some passes deep downfield, expecting him to rack up some serious yardage after the catch. So I see a number that has him at 12.1 yards per reception. And frankly, I'm a little bit down, especially for somebody who at Penn State the last two years 
averaged over 16 yards per catch, 16.5 to be precise, with 1,571 yards on 95 receptions. I'd like K.J. Hamler to be at 15 yards per catch because there's going to be some serious yak coming from him if he's doing his job well. And so – Let's just say, and I think it's maybe even on the the low end of the expectation, let's say he has 15 yards per catch on 35 receptions. That's 525 yards. Is that 700-yard kind of milestone that that I pegged? No, but if he's at 15 yards per catch on 35 receptions, there are probably some explosive plays involved with that. Hamler's numbers may put him fourth among pass catching targets on the Broncos behind Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Noah Fant. But there are going to be some memorable plays, some game breaking plays involved with him getting there if he's averaging 15 yards per catch. That would be a solid year. 35 catches. I could see him coming in at that total just because of the, of the receiving targets around him. But I'm disappointed if he's only getting 12 yards a catch. I want him to be at 15. Yep, couldn't agree more. I think 35 catches would be okay, kind of a baseline. 425 yards, again, a baseline. But those two things together wouldn't be okay. And Mace, I was going to point to the exact same thing. I mean, he would have have averages less than Jerry, Judy, and Cortland Sutton, and that's not who he is. So I would either be concerned – uh, that the Broncos didn't get the playmaker they thought KJ was, or that Pat Shermer just completely utilized him the the incorrect way. KJ Hamler could be an effective slot receiver, but you need to use him more than just a, a slot receiver who goes out and catches five yard passes that you, you have three linebackers around him and he gets taken to the ground every time he needs. He can have that role at times but you also need to to get him on the move send him deep have him turn plays into explosive plays so 12.1 yards per catch I mean uh, I completely agree with you Mace that would be disappointing I think if you top that 500 yard mark that would be a good season for KJ where you're feeling good 35 Mm -hmm. catches for 425 yards you're not saying he's a bust but you're also not happy with it if he tops 500 or, or that 15 yards per catch, then you're happy with it. Yeah, that's a very meh season if he has that. And I'm not expecting meh from KJ Hamlin. I'm expecting yeah. something big, something bold. Like I said, game-breaking plays. Maybe he's not going to have as many opportunities as Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and Noah Fant, but I'm expecting him to maximize them. So I'm, totally you know, to, to kind of put it in, not statistically, but just in how it feels. You're expecting some memorable moments. Yep. Yep, exactly. And then, Mace, after that, there's a pretty sharp drop-off. You have Deshaun Ham- or Hamilton with 10 catches for 103 yards. Tim Patrick, three catches for 38 yards. And that's it from the Broncos receiving core. We'll talk about tight ends another day. But that drop-off, <laughs> now that makes sense. That is probably how it should be. Uh, with Deshaun leading the way after those guys, but there being a sharp drop-off because, look, Deshaun Hamilton can can be a reliable guy when you need him. He's stepped up the past two years. But Cortland Sutton, you have a pro bowler. Jerry Judy, you have a first-round pick. K.J. Hamler, not only a second-round pick, but a game-changer potentially 
those are the guys that should be on the field at 95% of the snaps. So I'm very okay with a big drop off after those three. Yeah. Although with Deshaun Hamilton, if they decide to go with a more true slot receiver, when they have some three wide packages and they utilize Deshaun Hamilton, I think his totals end up being on the high, on the, on the higher side of that one thing about Deshaun Hamilton, I will say, is that Clay hasn't projected to average 10.3 yards per reception. And given the type of, day of receiver Deshaun Hamilton is, that's pretty fair. Mm-hmm. If Deshaun is at 10 yards per catch and is working in the slot, that's fine. So, Mace, you're telling me you would take the over at Deshaun of 103 yards on the season? Yeah, I'm taking the over on that. I think I, they'll be. I would too. I, I think he's not going to be playing extensively barring injury but I think he'll have opportunities to have more than 10 receptions this year again I want to see the Broncos pass the ball a little more than Mike Clay is suggesting and that's going to be more opportunities for everybody including Deshaun because even though he's he doesn't have the explosiveness of Cortland Sutton Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler if he can just get some more confidence in his in his hands avoid those back-breaking, crushing drops that he had last year against the Raiders and the Chargers that took two touchdowns for him off the board. And I think Deshaun Deshaun can get more comfortable. I haven't closed the book on Deshaun Hamilton yet. I know a lot of people have. I haven't. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Mace. I'm right there with you. And if you want to try to cash in on the over on Deshaun, the over on any of these guys, DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to go for any future NFL bets that we've been throwing your way or sports that are going on right now, including golf. That's right, guys. Last weekend, we had golf back. This weekend, we have another full weekend of golf ahead of us. And big cash winnings don't have to be saved for the winner of that golf tournament. You guys can jump in on the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And they're putting you in the center of the action with their sign-up bonus up to $1,000. And guys, don't worry if you missed golf last weekend because it's back again this weekend. And DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to get all of your bets in for this weekend's tournament. Not only can you bet on the winner at the beginning, but you can bet day-by-day action and even hole-by-hole live betting. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and reliable betting. You can deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want at your convenience. So, guys, make sure to download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up. And for a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So don't forget, enter the code DNVR and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And if you do win over at DraftKings, you're going to want to celebrate. And what better way to celebrate than with that 15-can sampler pack that you can get from Breckenridge Brewery. You can get it at any number of area stores. You can, of course, get it at Davidson's, our friends who uh, have their stores down in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. But there are a lot of ways to get 
Breck Brews no matter where you are. Like, for example, I'm here in Wisconsin right now. So want a little brew because it has been perfect weather here last night was sitting outside by my brother-in-law's pool, catching up on my reading, enjoying the night air, looking up at the stars. Well, you know what? Because I used that Breck Brew Finder, I was able to find out where I could get some of my personal favorite, Strawberry Sky, right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin is known for its beers, no doubt, but Breckenridge Brewery uh, stacks up well with any of them, and so I'm sitting here under the night sky enjoying a strawberry sky. It was so poetic. It was so beautiful. If you're back in Denver, though, you can do more than just have some of Breck Brew's fine array of selections. You can also go to the farmhouse, their restaurant down at the brewery in Littleton. Of course, they need your help to keep the farmhouse kicking during this strange time that we're all enduring. So if you order your meal and beer from the farmhouse, make sure you use that code DNVR. Right on, Mace. All right, let's talk to the people and let's get into the comment section. Of course, you can leave your questions and comments. You go to the most recent pod that we posted on the DNVR.com. Go to Broncos Pods, find the most recent one, click on it, scroll to the bottom. A comment section will open up if you're a subscriber, and that's where you can leave those questions. And then, of course, we'll read them the following day. And let's dive into them. First one coming in from Ride Mystery. My dudes, I've been a subscriber for a while, but this is my first time commenting. This is a little late, but I wanted to commend you all on your incredibly thoughtful and responsible commentary surrounding George Floyd, the Denver protests, and the state of racial equality in this country. It was incredibly heartening to hear this podcast and the DNVR community tackling such a serious issue with sincerity and compassion. Well, thank you so much, Ride Mystery, and I'm glad that you appreciated that. On a lighter note, I was able to make it to the DNVR bar the night before the city ordered closures began. It was amazing, and I can't wait to make it back for some Breck brews. Keep up the amazing work. That's awesome you were able to make it, Ride Mystery. And we have an announcement on that. The bar is now open seven days a week from 4 p.m. till 2 a.m., so now open every single day of the week for Ride Mystery and anyone else to check out the bar. Yeah, personally, what I'm looking forward to is when we're able to expand those hours because, you know, let's face it, we're just kind of stepping it back in bit by bit by bit. But I can't wait until I have the opportunity to have a lunch over at the DNVR bar. But right now you can go for a late late afternoon meal. You can go for dinner. And of course, the bar staying open until 2 a.m. So you want that little late night beverage Make sure you check out the DNBR bar, and it's you know hey it's it's summer, it's drinking season, but of course drink responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. I can't wait for that too, Mace. Next one coming in from D Dubs, fellas. Sorry for the long one. I got a little excited uh, talking exotic personnel informations. I'm of the belief that you take any opportunity to get your best players on the field. RK, you mentioned creating mismatches are key. And using both backs at the same time creates those mismatches and huge space downfield for KJ, Court, Judy, and our track star tight ends. Honestly, F it. Run 30 personnel from pistol with Phil, Mel, and KJ in the back, Cortland and Judy out wide, or Fant sub for KJ and watch the opposing defensive coordinator's head explode. Also, I stand Nick Kendall. Would love if you guys somehow got him on the pod. That's all I've got this time. Thanks for the awesome coverage as always. D-dubs. Yeah, appreciate that. Nick is uh, 
is really good at what he does over there at Mile High Huddle. So, yeah, we, if we have some guests, it'd be nice to get him on for a segment. That'd be pretty cool. Absolutely, yeah, it, it would be awesome. And, man, this is the time to have guests on, that's for sure. Yep. Yellow mustard. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I'm reading this. I, I, I probably was uh, owed this and deserve to read a comment that is by the screen name, yellow mustard. I see what you did and I'm laughing at it and I like it. So well done. My dudes, RK, you said in an earlier pod that you would rather have Drew Locke as your quarterback than Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan has not proven that he could do it at the highest level. After the 12th season in Elway's career, he hadn't proven himself at the highest level yet either. Does that mean you would prefer 2020 Drew Locke over 1995 John Elway? <laughs> That's a great Ooh. question. Make sure to uh, leave this one later in the week so we can ask Ryan himself. Wow. Yeah, that's – you know what? That's a good point. I, I usually use the example of Peyton Manning where I say, hey, you know, it wasn't until his sixth season in the league that Peyton Manning was the winning quarterback for a team that won in the playoffs. Unfortunately, it was at the Broncos' expense when he got that – when he and the Colts got that first playoff win. But it's, you know, it's something worth noting. It, it can take time. Right. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a unicorn. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I mean, Peyton, he won a Super Bowl in his ninth season. Right. They, the, the, we, we see Patrick Mahomes. We see Tom Brady. It, Mahomes wins it in his second year as a starter, third year in the league. Tom Brady wins it in his first year as a starter, second year in the league. Yet these are the exceptions. History is also filled with Peyton Manning's and John Elway's. At that uh, and uh, Jim Plunkett, who probably has a really good case for the Hall of Fame, guys that had some struggles or had to keep pushing the boulder up the hill before they finally got it over the top. Yep, yep. So, it, and then it, it's a really good point. I'm curious to what RK would say about that. I am too. Another comment that's about a week too late. I forgot who mentioned the death of grunge music, right? Maybe RK. But you should know that grunge never dies. Sure, Program was the last great true grunge band, but this era still has a lot of great post-grunge bands that may not be quite as good, but still definitely fill the void. Might I recommend Shallow Side, You, Me at Six, and As It Is. Oh, yeah. And Pearl Jam dropped a new album just over a month ago, so maybe true grunge grunge hasn't left us either <laughs> mace are you a grunge music fan uh, i mean i've it's my generation coming from the 90s i wouldn't call myself a grunge expert i had to it took me a while to warm up to it to be honest with you um that said pearl jam pearl jam was and is the standard and if they are up to it they might be like the Rolling Stones and touring and packing places into their 70s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really true. And, man, they just need to name it something better than grunge. That's just that's Why? Not appetizing. That's not appetizing it, to anyone. But you had to – you weren't around in the 90s, Zach. I mean, at least you were not around <laughs> where you remember that. Think about this. In the 80s, that we saw, you know, things that had more polish. You know, there were more, we a lot of synthesizers, for example. The drum machine really came into play in 1980s popular music. So 
grunge, it was a word that summarized how, okay, we're taking all this production, all this electronica, and we're stripping it off here. We are, you know, down and dirty, getting kind of back to the roots of things. So stuff that's not polished, it's raw. It's, and because it's raw, it has that sort of passion. Mm-hmm. And grunge, to me, summed up what it was trying to accomplish perfectly because in many ways it was a backlash against what we saw in the 80s. Mm, I like that. And I love the passion that you delivered your passionate speech about passion about. That was great, Mace. Alrighty. <laughs> Ethan Rosier says, my guy's so glad to have all of y'all. After listening to the pod and hearing Mace talk about the different quarterbacks that went four and one, I wanted to know if Mace knew the quarterbacks that went four and one and changed their offensive coordinator and what their records for their second season is. I believe in you, Mace. Go DNVR and KJ Hamler's legs. <laughs> okay, that's gonna take a little more uh, a little more time than just a a cursor, just a cursory look. Because, for example, right now, I have the twenty one quarterbacks since nineteen eighty whose teams went four and one or better in their first five starts. Now, the Drew Lock scenario where he had five starts and then changed coordinators and then went to the next season. That's, that's pretty rare. Now, one name that did pop up in my mind uh, for something similar was Sean King, also a second-round pick with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1999, started late in the 99 season and even in the playoffs that year. And then after that year, the Bucks changed offensive coordinators. A familiar name to Bronco fans now, Mike Shula, out. Les Steckel, in. Mm, and Les Steckel. And in year two, Sean King wasn't bad. The Bucks went 10-6. and six. He had him in the playoffs, but he didn't take the next step that they were hoping, and they felt like that their championship window was get, with that defense was closing a bit. So in the following offseason, the Bucks said, Sean King, he's okay, but Bragg Johnson's available and went and signed Bragg Johnson. And that is, you know, that, that's a circumstance that sort of makes me think that if Drew Locke is just okay and doesn't take the steps that I think we all expect him to take, that leaves me believe that the Broncos could be in the market for a quarterback in 2021. But I think Drew Locke is going to be more dynamic in his second year than Sean King was for Tampa Bay back in 2000. And because of that, I think you'll be looking at Drew Locke as the quarterback in 2021 and the future being in his hands. Yeah, boy, you really don't want Drew Locke to be the next Sean King. That is for sure. Uh, so, Ethan, there you go. There's a, there's a little bit of an answer for you. Mason, next one's for you. Yes, it is. But before we go on to the next comment, I'll also admit, because I, I am one who owns my mistakes, I thought Sean King was going to be a truly great quarterback. Mm-hmm. I actually had watched him in high school because he went to Gibbs High School in St. Petersburg, Florida. Gibbs is, it was a perennial loser except when he was their quarterback, and he willed that team to heights that had never achieved before, had, has never achieved since. And then he goes to Tulane. Tulane goes 12-0. He's the reason why a dynamic quarterback. Man, I was convinced 
when the Bucks <laughs> took Sean King in the second round of 99, that they had the steal of the draft, that they had the man of the future. I was so excited. Oh, that no. was a miss on my part. He was a second round pick too. Mace, the similarities are killing me right now. I wish I didn't know about this Sean King guy. <laughs> no it's actually something it's a, it's a parallel to watch if the broncos have a good season but it's the defense that fuels it right right so and Mace, not the offense who's uh who is the 2021 brad brad johnson the 2021 brad johnson well who's the equivalent there Jameis Winston. Oh, man, that would be the ultimate gamble. Mace, would you like that move or would you not like it? Because um, you didn't like see- Jameis when he was in Tampa. Now you're scared, now that he's in New Orleans, that he's going to turn out really be- good. Because it wasn't, it wasn't working in Tampa, and I can understand why the Bucks had to move on. But I also know Buccaneer history that says that a quarterback who leaves – but has a lot of talent, is going to go somewhere else and do better. You know, it's funny. Bronco fans justifiably can lean on many years of success that build confidence. The last three years, a shock to the system, and I completely get that. But those last three years for Bronco fans, that's what most of Buccaneer history is like. That, for me, that's my norm. In terms of being a football enthusiast. And and so with when you're a Buck fan, you're always expecting the banana peel. You're always expecting it to go wrong in the worst possible way. And part of it is watching Doug Williams get lowballed by cheap ass owner Hugh Culverhouse, go to the USFL, then come back to the NFL with Washington and Bronco fans don't want to remember this, but he had the greatest quarter of any quarterback in NFL history in Super Bowl 22. It's letting go of Steve Young because you're drafting Vinny Testaverde. Steve Young, Hall of Fame career. You let go of Vinny Testaverde because he's not taking the next steps and Tampa Bay as a market, very harsh on him, expecting to be the savior, and he wasn't all that. And, of course, Vinny goes to Cleveland under Bill Belichick, gets him to the playoffs, in his second year, ends up playing another decade, takes the Jets to the AFC Championship game, has some very good to great years, a borderline MVP candidate for a while. Even Trent Dilfer goes to Baltimore, and while he's riding their defense, Trent Dilfer takes them to a championship. I just have the expectation that a Buck quarterback with talent and potential is going to leave and do better things. Really, the only guy who didn't live up to that was Josh Freeman. But everybody else has. So I fear what's going to happen with Jameis Winston in New Orleans with Sean Payton. Deadly yeah. fear. Yep. And uh, I could see it happening, Mace. I'm sorry to say, oh, but hey. Oh, you're, you're killing me, Zach. You're killing me. Your bucks with Tom Brady have, <laughs> oh. them, uh, have them for at least another year or two. All right. Well, I mean, hopefully Tom Brady, hopefully for the Bucks, Tom Brady is the Tom Brady of, of vintage years. But boy, I've oh man, I'm I'm yeah. the, I feel like this is gonna fail. But maybe anyway. he'll be uh, Peyton Manning of the Broncos. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, you the Broncos listener listening to this podcast, you've got it good. You've had it wonderful over the years, 
and you are so lucky to have the Broncos as your team. Oh, boy. I, I envy you. I envy you all. <laughs> and this is coming off the Broncos' worst stretch in history. Right. but the worst stretches. Yeah, but the Bucks have literally had two stretches in the last 40 years of at least a dozen seasons where they missed the playoffs for oh a dozen my. or more years. <laughs> wow. Twice. That's rough. Yeah, they, they had a, they're on a 12-season stretch now. They had a 14-season stretch from 83 to 96. I mean, oh it's – Oh, my gosh. It's mind-numbing. And, <laughs> and, I can, and that's why, even though I probably wouldn't have made the Tom Brady move, I, I get it. On some level, I get it. Because right. you've, tried almost, you've tried everything else. Yep. So you might as well go try with the greatest of all time. Yeah, you might as well try with, with Tom. Yeah. Anyway, Count Locula. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The Mace story is told from the future where he is the commissioner. He is played by Paul Giamatti, who wins an Oscar for this performance. To make it happen with sincerity, PG spends a year with Mace, even during his manscaping sessions. No detail is too small or too intimate. This is the only possible way this could happen. It's basically a sideways ripoff, but it's about our Broncos media hero, so it's way the hell better despite its subpar script, Love the Count. <laughs> oh, man. Paul Giamatti is Mace. I, I think it's funny that you mentioned sideways because there's a lot about Paul Giamatti's character in sideways that, for better or for worse, I can relate to. <laughs> Mace, would you be okay with spending a year with Paul? Um, maybe not the manscape part, but if he wanted to shadow me for a bit, absolutely. You know, the part of it is Paul Giamatti's father is the late Bart Giamatti, whose tenure as MLB commissioner was short, but brilliant. Probably there are few people ever walking the earth who understood the poetry of baseball like Bart Giamatti did. I, I would want to pick Paul's brain about stuff like that. Mm, yeah, that would be really fascinating. Yeah. And also his career, because in addition to that great, the great role in Sideways, you can go, go through his other roles, played the antagonist in the Howard Stern film Private Parts. Speaking of manscaping. <laughs> he's done a lot, man. He's yeah. good. Oh, yeah. He, he's an actor's actor. But yeah. uh, any, any film is better when Paul Giamatti is on the screen. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, more from the count. I don't like speaking for others, but I'm fairly certain that a comment your last pod meant that Andre Simone was the Trail Davis of DNVR. Must have been a number mix-up. Love the count. <laughs> yes, maybe. And, man, yep, Andres are, Andres are everything. And speaking of oh. mix-ups, the big Tabowski comes in and says, whoa there, Zach. I didn't ask about Tuscan bread, although I did know the answer. But that was another listener who asked that, but I agree. It was a perfect timing to have Andre on. Big Tabowski, I just saw your name pop up when I was talking about Tuscan bread. So I gave you credit. I'll take that credit right back. While listening – or whilst we're correcting food chat, he goes on. Do you guys know that sushi isn't raw or smoked fish, but is actually small parcels of rice? Everyone in the UK thinks sushi is raw fish too, but it's not. It just commonly has seafood in it. Lots and lots of veggie sushi too, and it is much better. None of that risk and just as good in flavor. Yum. RK and whoever's on the pod today. 
I know you love spicy food and so do I, but what do you think of wasabi? So different to the burn of chili. Peace out and love to all the big tea. I love wasabi mayonnaise. Oh, never had that. That sounds Ooh. good though. It's really good. Now, do you if it's done put right. it on sushi or do you put it on just a sandwich? I've put it on a sandwich. I've put, I've put wasabi mayonnaise on a sandwich with like smoked turkey, tomato, and onion. Yeah, not the tea, the big tea sandwich that we talked about <laughs> last week. <laughs> Man, that does sound good. Carries a little kick. In. And like you're saying, the Big Tabowski, it, it is a different kick for sure. I mean, this one truly just hit straight to the nostrils. Oh, yeah. No question about that. So the thing with sushi, and actually I'm on the Wikipedia page for what it's worth, it is defined as a Japanese dish of prepared vinegared rice, usually with some sugar and salt, accompanying a variety of ingredients, such as seafood, vegetables, and occasionally tropical fruits. So, yes, it's not just about the fish. It can be anything. So you can have like one of the things that's popular is a spam musubi in Hawaii. It's popular there. So it's spam on sushi rice. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. The big Tabasco. Mm -hmm. My uh, girlfriend's a big sushi lover. So I'll have to uh, see if she knows that little factoid. <laughs> <laughs> and before we move any further, I got to tell you guys about Denver Rubber Company. Guys, Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. DRC is an essential business and has filled so many needs during this crazy time. And they can help any business such as medical, military, defense, government, wind energy, and the food beverage industries. They can do it all from large to small, custom to bulk order. They can do it. So give them a call at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Guys, they've been around since 1972. And they are the absolute best at what they do. So whether it's snow plow blades, hey, maybe you're living somewhere where there's snow right now. Uh, but they also have custom cut rubber and foam gaskets, hose assemblies, and metal parts. So check them out. Give them a call at 1-800-259-0010 or at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Talked about them earlier, but our good friends at Davidson's. If you want Breck Brews, you can get that 15-can sampler from there but they've got so much more at Davidson's Liquor Stores in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. Locally owned, a massive selection. They carry Breck Brews, like I mentioned, but plenty of other stuff. And if they don't have what you're looking for, talk to a member of their knowledgeable staff, and they'll make sure that you're heading in the right direction. They'll get you what you're looking for. Now, you can use the Davidson's app. It's tremendous, by the way. They'll deliver to your house in the Denver area or they'll, or you can go out there to either location and go do the pickup. I've done the curbside pickup, and that works tremendously. But if you want to go in the store, you can. Their sales floor is up and running. I've been there in the last few weeks over at the Centennial location. They've got everything social dis socially distanced properly. So you walk in, you're comfortable. It is a safe shopping experience. And, of course, that staff will be there to help you with whatever you need, whatever you're looking for. Of course, so like I said, I mentioned their app download that app today because you can not only get deals but you can sign up for their loyalty program they have daily deals as well and if you go on to davidson's and get your liquor make sure you tag us let us know look for their deal of the day on the app 
Make sure you can request products if they don't have what you're looking for, but odds are they're going to have what you're looking for. And if you want that 15-can sample from Breck Brewery, Brewery, you can get it over at Davidson's. Davidson's Liquors, Centennial, and Highlands Ranch. Next one coming in from Dan Burke says, let's compare some off-season headlines between the Raiders and Broncos rookie classes real quick. This offseason, we've had Lynn Bowden getting his house raided and weapons seized, Henry Ruggs coming close to a season-ending injury from helping his friend move houses, and Damon Arnett getting in his feelings on social media over a gay sea sponge. Meanwhile, Judy's gone viral for his route running. KJ was the star of that Hey Rookie show. Jerry and KJ are both taking part in throwing sessions with Drew. Michael Ojemudia is as far ahead as a rookie can be, for Ed Donatel, and several of the rookies came to Denver to take part in a peaceful protest. Gruden and Mayock sure know how to pick them with a Ooh. gross face. Man, Dan, that's uh, it's very interesting to look at, isn't it? It's interesting to look at and think about. And what have we talked about the last couple of years in the Broncos draft classes? They've been looking for character, right? Yep, exactly. It's It worked in 2018. It worked in 2019. What we've seen from the members of this rookie class in 2020, the same thing. They're high-character football players, high-character people for the most part. Everything we've seen of them is uniformly positive as far as what, as far as what they've shown and what they can be. And I think you sort of see that out. Now, that being said, I mean, we, you know, with, with Lim Bowden, I mean, yeah, that was his grandmother's house, and so could be a little bit of a wrong place, wrong time. We don't know uh, all the facts on that, but what we can't. So I don't really want to get into impugning the Raiders. What I want to do is praise the Broncos, those that did come back to Denver for the rally, those that are working hard, that are engaged, even wherever they are in the country, that are involved with the game plan, and with, with game planning and getting ready for the season, that are learning. Ojem Moody is doing his studying, doing his homework. KJ Hamler and Jerry and Judy, they're out there working with Drew Locke and other players on the offense. It's very exciting to see. It looks like once more, the Broncos got a lot of high-character players. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And look how it's uh, performed off the field as well as on the field, looking really good right now for the Broncos. Mm -hmm. Yep. Next one coming in from LDJ. I, I'm just about tired of getting added by Raiders fans, LOL. Every time there's a bad Drew Locke take, PFF decided to talk out the side of the neck in uh, talk out the side of their neck yesterday. They said the Broncos are the most improved team, but then Locke was below average quarterback based on the ridiculous grading system. This is what Broncos fans saw saw idiots that have us excited because you have not watched him play. You read stat sheets. Number one, we saw him have the ability to extend plays. They weren't a lot of guys open, and even though we're praying Fant makes a huge leap he was not a viable second target anytime you had to lob or back shoulder the ball Fant could not catch it watch the tape people thank goodness we have other options at tight end just in case Noah can't improve on that two he got the entire team involved I can't tell you how wide open Hireman was when Flacco was playing and Joe didn't go his way Deshaun Hamilton had like 11 catches for 117 yards before Drew got in the game and then the throws Drew made to Tim Patrick were beautiful he saw we saw him from the Hall of Fame game to Seattle game get better and better every game. We saw him from the Chargers to the Raiders game get better every game. But we should say he's below average. What are we hyping? And we're over hyping him. OMG! 
Did Drew make terrible reads? Did he not go through progressions? Did he not lead his team to a 4-1 record? Did he not galvanize his team? If you can't say yes to those things, then what are we knocking him for? Watch the darn film. PFF issue with Drew is based on where he was drafted, and it's asinine because their analytics say that players drafted where Drew was usually bust. They are married to that theory. So you guys going to keep saying, I don't know if he's a guy. Bro, just say if he's the guy and stop it because you don't know. And if Colin Cowherd watched him play and doesn't give a damn about where he was drafted, but watched him play and calling his shot like we have it. Colin was a huge Russell Wilson truther. Even when Wilson seemed like he was a game manager for the Seahawks defense, Coward believed Russ was a special player, even though he was a third-round pick. He thought he was special. PFF, just say he's the guy and stop it because your grading system is garbage. Mahomes isn't the highest-graded quarterback in your system because, in your opinion, the plays he makes and that, and that were caught, in your opinion, if it could have been a turnover, even though the ball was caught, you ding the grading of the quarterback. If that play could have been, been a turnover, what kind of BS is that? It's so idiotic. I'm not even going to get into your system. And grading tight ends is laughable. Wow. Here's a uh, – we'll, we'll pause really quick in LDJ's comment. And here's what I'll say, LDJ. Maybe take a step away from PFF. It seems like they've got in your head. Don't let them, don't let them win. <laughs> this is making you angry. And you know what? <laughs> I think you've got some righteous indignation here with what PFF is saying. The other thing I got to say, just before we go on to the last part of your comment, LDJ, is you're mentioning that Colin Cowherd was a huge Russell Wilson guy. Ah, man. I mean, I I hate the notion, like Colin Cowherd's overall notion that uh, dynasties are the best thing and uh, you want only a couple of teams to dominate and the rest to be flotsam and jetsam. But I may have to rethink Colin Cowherd if he's that much of a Russell Wilson guy because I've been a Russell Wilson guy since before he was drafted. So, Yep, yep, yep. Hmm. Yeah, you have been. And maybe Colin's your guy now, Mace. We don't know. He goes oh, on and says, man. lastly, I stand by my, my floor ceiling of Drew. His floor is Matthew Stafford because he has the arm and the ball placement and the ability to throw from all angles for his floor to be Stafford. And I say his ceiling is Mahomes because Drew is more athletic than Stafford and Mahomes number one. And he can make those off-platform throws we've seen. It needs to be unleashed when you can't trust due to Drew to do so. I know Mahomes is a unicorn, but what Drew does when plays are broken down, man, sorry, that's where I'm going to stick with until I see otherwise. This has been the off-season story. What is Drew Locke? And I'm just confused as to how many people are so sure about Daniel Jones but have so many question marks about Drew. It's crazy to me. Okay, who are these people? Maybe I'm just not paying attention to what uh, every pundit is saying because I don't have time to absorb everything. Are people, like, sold on Daniel Jones? They think I he's going to be the best. Th- yeah, I haven't heard that either. People, I've heard a lot of questions about Daniel Jones. Yeah, me too, me too. Maybe uh, if it's coming from LDJ, it may be PFF, Mace. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I trust uh, LDJ, but hey, uh, let, let me know, because we appreciate all your comments. Let us know who these pundits are who are saying Daniel Jones is supposedly the next great thing, because man, I don't see it with him. I, I, I see more with Drew Locke than with Daniel Jones. 
Yeah, and Daniel did have a pretty good season last year, but now the Broncos do have his offensive coordinator. Yep, although I'll say this for Daniel Jones. Last year on the old radio station, we had David Cutcliffe, the quarterback whisperer from Duke University. Of course, Coach Peyton Manning in college as offensive coordinator, also Coach Eli Manning as head coach at Mississippi. David Cutcliffe, the way he talked about Daniel Jones almost convinced me that he was going to be something special. Wow. David Cutcliffe just, just lavishing him with praise and nearly changed my mind about Daniel Jones just wow. from talking to him. Yeah, and Daniel Jones changed my mind after the way yeah. he played last year. We'll see what he does this year, though. Actually, you know, funny, if there's a, a figure in sports that's like kind of not really hugely famous that I would love to, to work on a book with, it's David Cutcliffe. Oh, man. He's seen because, a lot of things, hasn't he? Exactly. Just for the Peyton and Eli stories alone. But the way those two swear by him and the way they came back to Cutcliffe every year as pros says a lot about him. I, I would love to just sit down with David Cutcliffe and just pick his brain for a while and talk to him. I think there's an, if he ever wanted to do it, I think there's an amazing book that David Cutcliffe could, could write. And I'd be happy to go write it with him. There about we go. The quarterback position. There we go. Someone uh, let's connect Mace and David Cutcliffe. I love that. Love that. Next one coming in from Broncos Sooners, New York Rangers, my boys. Happy Tuesday. And as always, thank you for taking the time to read our questions and comments. As you can tell by my name, I support a lot of different teams in different areas. I'm from the Northeast, and when I was a, still a wee lad, I would play Tecmo Super Bowl all the time. John Elway, Shannon Sharp, and Steve Atwater were absolute monsters. Safe to say the beautiful bright orange and blue combo of their uniforms and the amazing John Elway has, all, has made me a Bronco fan for life. It just goes to show you that location doesn't always have to be the reason you root for a team. The Broncos chose me, and I never looked back. Go Broncos. P.S. When I say Tecmo Super Bowl, most people assume it's the Bo Jackson one from 1989 on the original Nintendo. However, to me, the 1993 Super Nintendo version of Tecmo Bowl is vastly superior in every way. It doesn't have Bo, but it does have the exceptional Thurman Thomas, Emmett Smith, and run-and-gun Oilers of the early 90s. Yeah, I have no mm -hmm. idea what Tecmo Bowl is. Okay, well, then you're missing out. Now, Tecmo Bowl, the original, came out in 1988. And you had four plays on offense, four, four plays on defense. So it was Russian roulette football. Wow. So you had a 25% chance of getting the opponent's call right. And what would happen is if you got, if you're a defense and you got the call right, the play was immediately destroyed. Oh, wow. Now Tecmo Super Bowl came out in 1991 heading in. So it was based off the 1990 season. Tecmo Super Bowl was the first game that had all 28 teams all the players and you could play a full season on and it was revolutionary and that's where Bo Jackson was the star but I agree the 1993 version for Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis of Tecmo Super Bowl it's I think it's the it is the superior game there are more possibilities to it it there were 
there was more you could a little more you could do strategically. My only quibble with that is just as a Bucks fan, the Bucks were terrible. They had <laughs> hardly any weapons on offense, and you couldn't do much of anything with them. But overall, it is a superior game, in part because Sega Genesis and Super, and Super Nintendo were superior systems in terms of processors than the original Nintendo was. <laughs> I love that insight there, Mace. Love it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm serious. I had, I had no idea about it, any of mm-hmm. it, so I appreciate that. Okay. Jimmy Ball says, hey, guys, rank the following players who are in need of a strong 2020 campaign based off the need for a good season in order to prolong the career in the NFL. Oh, and we did this one yesterday, Jimmy. Um, we said, uh, well, I think Jake Butt was the one we all agreed on, right, Mace? Right, yes. Um, and then I made a case for Duke Dawson because right now he's, he's on his second opportunity. It's kind of hard when you don't produce anything to come across a third opportunity. Um, another guy that drew lock is not in the conversation. I think Deshaun Hamilton will get another opportunity somewhere else as, as well. Um, and, and I think really all those guys probably will as well. I think they will. I think the big thing for me is also to consider is that Garrett Bowles is the one who can make the most money because right. if he flourishes this year, or even if he's league average, if he is a league average left tackle this year, he will cash in next year it may not be from the broncos but somebody is going to pay him somebody paid you know the panthers paid matt khalil even though matt khalil was dreadful at times with the vikings now it didn't work out for khalil he was cut after a couple of years but if if somebody would pay matt khalil someone will pay garrett bowles if he cuts his holding penalties just a bit and plays in a league average level i was gonna say all he has to do is be average the average, mm-hmm. and he's about—he's in for a big payday. Yep, exactly. The other Ryan, my boy. Well, start. Sorry, sorry, Zach. This let's open my boys. it. There we go. <laughs> let's continue our discussion on condiments. Like Mace, I'm a big fan of Duke's mayonnaise. I know that we are not to get political on the DMVR, but here's a question that has divided us as a people for quite some time: Is Miracle Whip an acceptable condiment? For sandwiches and other fare, I will admit that I have no qualms with adding a little zip here and there with Miracle Whip. Yes, Miracle Whip is acceptable, but here's where you can't use it. Sometimes I like to put a little, if I'm doing a a sandwich on the griddle, I like to put a little mayonnaise on the bread to kind of allow it to kind of fry up a little bit better. Don't do that with Miracle Whip. It doesn't work. Oh, what's it It's horrible. It just, it just, you'll burn the sandwich and you'll get no flavor. It's horrible. Ah. So what I'll do is, so Miracle Whip is good on the inside of the sandwich, but you don't want to put it on the, on the outside before you fry it up. That's a good little tip. I've uh, never had Miracle Whip, so I can't answer. The tangy zip of Miracle Whip. As Mace (laughs) tweeted last night, he thinks that roster sizes may need to be increased to 75 due to COVID-19 outbreaks during training camp in the season, which players would benefit the most from such a roster increase. You'd have to think that Jake Butt, Troy Fumagalli, Demarcus Walker, Isaac Yadam, Duke Dawson, and some more UDFAs and fringe players would be in a much better position to make the roster. Would roster size expansion increase Jeff Hireman's trade value in any way? As always, thank you. Have a terrific Tuesday. DNV Army, salute. Yeah, I guess it could help Jeff Hireman's trade value, but I mean, his his trade value is pretty, pretty low anyways, especially because the Broncos could cut him and teams may realize um, that they're just going to cut him. So why would they trade for him? Um, yeah, and I guess it could help guys that you just want to stash on the roster, but you're not going to expand the roster 
and then just stash every young guy or injured guy that can't play this year because the expanded rosters will be for people that need to play and that you'll need to rely on. So it would be a mix of those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the interesting thing uh, for Jeff Hireman, it might increase his value um, to the Broncos even if the roster size increase is increased because then you could, you, you could develop a tight end, but you could still have Jeff Hireman playing. Somebody that might benefit, though, is you mentioned Jake, but Austin Fort, keep your eye on him as well. Right. He's somebody yep. that could be really be helped out by the Broncos having a bigger roster because Austin Fort coming off the ACL, he might need another year to get back, but you saw some serious promise from him last summer. Geez, it really feels like Austin Fort has a better shot at making the roster than Jeff Hireman, which is crazy to say. Yeah, but well, Austin Fort's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Austin Fort's a lot cheaper as well. And another thing to consider, if you're going into a year in which revenues are dropping by potentially $3 billion, according to what leaked out from the NFLPA conference call yesterday, uh, you might have to get creative here to, uh, to absorb that sort of revenue loss. Yeah, it, uh, that's the truth, Mason. Final one, I believe, coming in from Hip Hip U Ray says, Hey, gents, Mace, hope your travels were safe throughout the Midwest. Make sure you get plenty of spotted cow and smuggle some new <laughs> Glarus across the borders and show the boys what some true Wisconsin beer tastes like. My two questions for today is what does the bidding process for hosting a Super Bowl look like? Does the city have to have an NFL ready stadium or dome? Cheers, Hip Hip U Ray. Well, they have to have the plans in place because you saw that uh, L.A. was awarded a Super Bowl even while they were just basically finishing the, the, the plans for the new stadium in Englewood that will host the Super Bowl here in a couple of years. So uh, that's obviously essential. Now they want the, the city to have an NFL team. I mean, I think we've probably seen uh, – the last of a the, the last instance in which a stadium that doesn't host a team hosts a Super Bowl. It used to happen with the Rose Bowl quite often, for example. I don't see that happening unless Orlando upgrades uh, its its stadium. Camping World Stadium used to be known as the Citrus Bowl. And I guess I know people fear that London could have a Super Bowl at some point, but I, I don't see that coming uh, in part because – if you played a Super Bowl in London, you'd have to start the game at uh, no later than probably 3 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Mountain, because you yeah. wouldn't want to start it after 8 p.m. in London. So that's why I, I think you won't see that. The question is, does the NFL start considering cold weather cities with open air stadiums again? Because they did have Super Bowl 48 take place at MetLife Stadium just across the river from New York. I'm not going to say anything more about the game that happened in there. They drew a lucky break. It was 49 degrees that night. The next day would have been a snowstorm. The question is, does the league ever want to roll the dice again on an open-air, cold-weather city? If it does, great. Denver's in the mix. If not, uh, Denver's going to be on the outside looking in. For now, it seems like the NFL is back to focusing on domes and warm weather venues, which would probably uh, mean that Denver is out of the mix, which is a shame. Yeah, it, it is a shame. And you have all these new stadiums coming up that are now getting put in 
the mix and I imagine getting put in the rotation. So I imagine the NFL isn't desperate for places uh, to host Super Bowls. So I'm sure that it will be a long time before Denver's truly in the conversation, if ever, unfortunately. Uh, but maybe the Broncos will be playing in some Super Bowls before then. That would be the goal for John Elway and his team. I'm really hoping that they can be there in Tampa in February. Oh, man. Broncos versus Bucks in Tampa ah! Bay. Although the Broncos probably wouldn't like that since it would be uh, going up against the first home team to ever play in their own stadium. Yeah, but uh, how many fans are going to be there? That's another thing to consider uh, as well. It's all yeah. different. It Wouldn't it be it, – it, this is what – I think of when I talk about Bucks history being negative. Yeah. They should have Tom Brady, the man with more Super Bowl wins than any other quarterback in NFL history, arguably the GOAT. That you have Tom Brady and your fans can't come watch him in person because of a because of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. That's that... that's the sort of thing that happens to the Bucks. And I know that is absolutely the least consideration of everything that's happened in the because of the coronavirus COVID nineteen pandemic. But it just it's like that's just the Bucks. <laughs> yeah, when you go twelve and four this year, I'm sure people will feel real sorry for you, Mace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> well, Mace, this has been a blast of a podcast. And when you have this much fun, you got to make sure those teeth are looking nice and white. And Green Mountain Dental out in Lakewood can help you feel that way. They're the best family owned dentistry in the metro area. And they're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like all of us. And guys, on top of that, if you schedule a cleaning, x ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Guys, that's right. All you have to do is take care of your teeth for them to take care of you and hook you up with a free Sonicare toothbrush. So make sure to check them out. They're Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood. Schedule that cleaning x-ray exam and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. All right. Well, that'll do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us on a day like today. Mace, thank you so much for rolling with me, taking time out of your vacation to talk to us. Enjoy tomorrow and your adventures that you have planned tomorrow. And everyone, enjoy uh, the, the summertime, the summer heat right now. And thank you again for rolling with us. So for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens signing off, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.